Okay, so on this episode of the Leadersmith podcast, we're going to be talking to Scott Roden. Scott is uh, the author of one of the best books on leadership that I have read. It's called The Steward Leader. I use it in the first class in my leadership program at CSU. And if, if you don't recognize the name, you should. And by the end of the podcast, you'll understand why. Stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants. One management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, so Scott, thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast and talk to us about leadership. I really appreciate it. Well, happy to be here, and uh, I'm blessed to know that you're you're using the book, and it's uh, being a, a blessing and a challenge to your students. So, what a what a great chance to talk about it. Yeah. So, before we talk about how it affects my students, let me talk about me. I was looking for better and better material, you know, for these kind of classes, and I read the book, and I was just like, oh, it was like an oasis in the desert. And I, I'm not just buttering you up here. I, I There are concepts in here, and we're going to talk about some of them. There are concepts in here that just sang. They just, like, if you're a Christian and you're trying to be a leader, if you don't embrace some of these concepts, you're missing pieces of the puzzle. And this just completed it. And um, yeah, so we'll get into it. So, so I recognize that uh, after I read this, I guess five years ago, something like that, and immediately put it into class, and it, it affects my students pretty deeply too. Over the course of time, they they've told me uh, how this book has ministered to them. Before we get going with that, I ask almost all my guests, tell me how you define leadership. That let's let's just start there. Yeah, wow, what a great uh, great place to start. Um, well, I, from the book, you know, one of the things that I say is that I think that uh, that leadership in the Christian context, the leadership is a miracle. Um, I think the fact that, that God uses sinful fallen people to, to lead other sinful fallen people in a way that he would call us to go. When it happens, I think we give God the glory and realize that something miraculous just happened here. Mm-hmm. It's not about us. Uh, we bring our frailties, our weaknesses to bear. We do our best um, and we trust God for the increase. It's the it's the planting and watering, I guess, uh, from 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. So leadership, I believe, happens when when God works through his people to do miraculous things in spite of who we are and the weaknesses that we bring. Now, we'll talk more about what a steward leader is, but um, but I just would put it in that that term. It's not about our skills, our talents. It's not about using great tools and techniques and traits. That's all part and parcel of it. But when it happens, when people really experience great leadership that God uses to do something impactful for the kingdom, I think we just drop to our knees and say, thank God that um, that the miracle happened again. Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking, I thought, Oh, I didn't introduce you and get have you talk about your background because your background has influenced your definition, I'm sure. You're not just saying this from the high seats. You've actually experienced leadership and worked through it. And tell tell the audience what you have done, uh, you know, a brief uh iteration of your resume. Sure. Well, I I my began first 10 years of my professional life was in, in Christian fundraising, uh, vice president for fundraising advancement at several different organizations. Um, I went off to Scotland and did a PhD in systematic theology, came back at uh, East, to Eastern Seminary in Philadelphia, 
where I served uh, my last five years there as president of Eastern Seminary. And, um, and after that, came here to the Northwest where we're from, kind of came home and have been running a consulting firm for the last 20 years. Um, I also served as president of the Christian Stewardship Association uh, for a number of years, and I'm a senior fellow with the Association of Biblical Higher Education. So kind of theological education, higher education combined with nonprofit fundraising work um, has been where all that, all that comes together. So it was in reflecting back on my years in leadership that um, I looked at this framework of what does it mean when we take the, the, the concept of a biblical steward and what, how that impacts us when we step into a, a leadership position and how it should impact everything we do as a leader. Um, most of it retrospective, but fortunately, God's given me an opportunity to, to be in leadership positions long enough afterwards that I've actually begun to see it work out in my own leadership, but, but probably more satisfying just seeing how thousands and thousands of leaders have, have gone down this track and reported back uh, what it means to lead out of this kind of a freedom from this, this steward leader. So both your theological preparation and your practice has influenced the way that you have come to this concept of the steward leader. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So with that, tell me what a steward leader is as opposed to just a leader. Let's let's just, a leader is X. Mm-hmm. You can define that however you like. And then a steward leader is Y. What's What's the difference? Well, actually, let me just tweak that a little bit and juxtapose a steward leader side by side with what we call an owner leader. Guys, I really do believe that that every leader is is going to find themselves primarily in one of these two camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and a steward leader, we have a very simple definition for steward leader. It's simply a faithful steward who's called to lead. Now, the important thing for this, especially for your students as you think about this, is the methodology. Um, if you look at leadership studies over the last 50, 60, 80, even 100 years, we find that so much of it is around the teaching of techniques and traits and practices. It's right. the how do you do good leadership? Uh, you know, 12 steps to this, 16 steps to being a great leader. And the idea is we're supposed to go out and just do the things that good leaders do, and we will become a good leader. And we just know that that's, that's not working. I mean, we look around right now and look at why don't we have this massive generation of outstanding, incredible leaders after 100 years of leadership studies. And I think part of it comes down to this idea that we're focusing on what leaders do instead of who people, who leaders are and who they are becoming in their relationship with Christ. So a steward leader is someone who in their personal life has embraced this journey of becoming a joyful, faithful, surrendered steward. And then they take that journey, that new perspective into their leadership role. And now they see all of leadership from the standpoint of, of being a steward. That's opposed to people who are, are in more of an, an ownership mentality where they really do believe that their life is theirs, their their future is theirs, um, the stuff around them is there, their identity is theirs. And as they struggle with the bondage, and that there really is uh, the the key here, Darren, um, is this idea of bondage. Mm-hmm. People are in bondage when they, when they decide to be owners. We can talk about the two kingdom, one kingdom, two kingdom thing in a minute. Um, but if they're in bondage in your personal life, if you're not a steward, but an owner in your personal life, you walk into a leadership position and you bring all that baggage with you. 
And now you look around and pastors say, this is my congregation. These are my people. This is my building. Um, and, and nonprofit leaders say that this is, these are my donors and this is my faculty or these are my volunteers and business owners do the same thing. We bring this ownership mentality in uh, and it just, it kind of drives everything we do. So I would put steward leader who's being set free to lead out of a, out of the sense of, of God owning everything versus an owner leader, which it has is a high level of control and desiring to say, I'm going to make this happen using my skills and abilities and coming from that ownership mindset. One of the things that has tripped up some of my students is the use of the word ownership, because ownership is supposed to be a good word in leadership generally. And can you explain the difference between ownership as it's used in the literature, which actually kind of is, I mean, if you have ownership over your responsibility, as opposed to what you're talking about here, just unpack the differences a little bit. Well, it's funny because for a lot of years, I've been doing strategic planning for the last 20 years. And one of the one of the little uh, euphemisms that's always used is, you know, you need to own the vision. The board needs to own the vision. Mm-hmm. And I've gone back and repented. And I said, no, please don't don't own the vision. Uh, it's not yours. You know, if, if it's truly the vision, then God has given you a vision. Steward that vision for him. Mm-hmm. So here's the here's the thing. We, we are given, if you will, a temporary um, trusteeship of stuff. Right. Even even of people that we manage, of organizations, of financial resources, buildings and all the rest of it. But it's always temporary. It's never fully 100 percent ours. So I really do push back on on almost any use of ownership only because it's so easy for the enemy to use that and to move us into this sense of control. This Mm. now really is mine. And I don't think anywhere we're supposed to put our arms around something and say, "Okay, God, I've got this. I don't need to listen to you. I don't need to be directed by you. I can handle this. This is mine. Now, the key is, and you mentioned it, is a whole idea of responsibility. People say, well, you know, if you're not, if you don't feel like you own something, then you're not going to be responsible for it. I think it's exactly the opposite. And here, okay. here's kind of why. If you tell me <clears throat> that something that God has placed in my hands belongs to him, this is, this is God's. It's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords owns this. And he has said to you, Scott, I'm going to give you the opportunity to steward this on my behalf. My level of responsibility of stewarding that is significantly higher than if I believe well belongs to me. I'm going to, I'm going to use it to take care of me and my needs. That's a very different level. So I think responsibility goes up when you set aside this whole viewpoint of ownership, see everything as a steward belonging to God, and now say, okay, Lord, help me be faithful in stewarding what I have. So I'm I'm uh, amazed by how this last I don't know seven minutes, however long we've been talking, uh, it has been so theologically uh, imbued all the way through everything that you've talked about. You've been weaving these theological concepts through, and outside Sunday morning, I can't remember a conversation that was that deeply. And that's what makes this book so powerful because you, you've really worked at trying to think theologically through what's going on here. And I think that's even shaped the difference between why you talk about stewardship as opposed to servant leadership, um, because servant leadership kind of takes a weird left turn somewhere in the academic literature, even though steward leadership or servant leadership can be found in the scripture with Christ and Matthew washing the disciples' feet. Can you talk about the distinction between steward <laughs> leader and uh, servant leadership? Sure. Yeah, happy to. That's some, that's a very common question. Um, 
and I'll try to articulate this because I have a lot of respect for the whole idea of what it means to be a servant leader. But here's here's the challenge that we find <clears throat> in much of the literature around servant leadership. It still comes back to this. If you want to be an effective leader, do what servants do. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's it's a technique. It's a process. It says, well, servant leaders do these kinds of things and they have these kinds of attitudes. If you'll do those things, then you will look like you're serving. And if you look, if you do a servant leader checklist, then you'll go that direction. It it doesn't come back and say, well, why should I have the heart of a servant? Right. In other words, is it transforming us first in the heart of an absolute servant? And then out of our servanthood, now we go in and we serve naturally, we lead in that capacity. Um, most of the servant leadership information and, and, and uh, research that I've seen or writings that I've seen tend to this other side of things. What we're trying to say with a steward is that it's all about your internal ongoing transformation. It's the journey God has you on, becoming set free. And as you do and go into leadership. Now, steward leaders are servant leaders. But I don't think servant leaders are necessarily steward leaders. Yeah, and in defense of Greenleaf, he does say, "Look, you, you know, servant leadership starts with a natural inclination to want to serve, but it's it's really not grounded on anything more than that. Then, like, why should you have that natural as opposed to a deeply theological reason? And like, look at what happens in you as you become a steward of the King of Kings. That's that is what's driving this. So." Uh, you're just you just start in a different place and you and you drive to a different place as a consequence. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I had a really great insight from a friend of mine who was talking about this. And he said, you know, Scott, you can be a servant leader and an owner leader at the same time. You can decide you wow, can. Desire, that's really interesting. You can serve. You can desire desire to serve um, in, in a order. way that 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 allows you to keep your ownership of your identity, your ownership of your people. You can take an ownership mentality into leadership and weave it with servant leadership and it can, the the two can work together. And I think that's a little bit of the warning as well, because a steward leader does not allow you to do that. You've got to set it all aside Um, and you do end up serving, but you serve out of a heart of the fact that it's all God's. So I've been teaching from the book for five years and I've never thought through that part of the, that nuance that that's really deep because you're right. You can still be in bondage in service uh, as a consequence of that. So that's uh, unless you have laid that all down. Okay. So I want to cover a number of you know, just like four major concepts. I really want to talk about while I have you. So the first one is this, this quote, I think this was the first uh, quote that grabbed me and just hit me like a two by four and made me go, wow, I better pay attention to this guy. So here's the first quote. It's from page 11. Here's the confession. In my roles as a leader, I've been mostly wrong in my understanding of leadership, in my expectations of others and myself, in my motives. Now that takes a lot to say that, to put that in print and publish it. So let's talk about that. Most people try to gloss over their imperfections. Like if you read um, biographies of important CEOs, you don't find that. You find here are my victories and my trophies. You don't hear that confession. Tell me about that. And that process, one, when you were writing it, was that hard to to come to or was that, uh, tell me about it. Well, um, so I I wrote that first for uh, an article in a journal in about 2005, which is about three or four years after I left the seminary position. And we were beginning to develop the steward leader uh, out of the, the steward theology that we've been working with. 
And it was really an aha moment, Darren, where I, um, as I looked at, at what this emerging steward leader was beginning to look like, every time we were unpacking a piece of it, I thought, oh my goodness, I wish I'd have done that. You know, I wish I could have lived like that. I wish I could have known that freedom. I wish I could have, you know, and it was this yearning of having said, I missed some things, some pretty significant things. So when I came to write uh, the book for InterVarsity, um, I thought, you know, when you read a lot of leadership books, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I read leadership books and I just get really discouraged. <laughs> I go, I can't, I'm not doing that. Oh, I'm not doing that. Well, I'm not living up to that. And pretty soon you just feel like, like you're just a failure. Well, I thought I would start by, by saying, Hey folks, you know, there's a ton of stuff in my background. I didn't do right when it comes to being a steward leader. And if you feel like this, if you can identify a little bit with that, then maybe we can talk about this journey together. Mm-hmm. So it was a confession. It was a mea culpa. Um, but I did it in a way to try to help, I help to, uh, have some, um, uh, I don't know, some, 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 uh, what's word I'm looking for. Uh, anyway, I have to have my, my, my readers and me on the same page. It, it so. gave you a lot of credibility in my eyes because it's hard to admit those kind of things, especially if this is the topic you're talking about, but then that was enough to have me go, wow, I better pay attention. What's he talking about? And as I listened to the concepts in here, yeah. It, I mean, it made a lot of sense of why. And I think a lot of even well-intentioned people fall into the kinds of traps that you're talking about because they just, if you get certain things wrong, so you start talking about, and here's the, here's the second concept. You talked about the call to the steward leader is a call to a lifestyle of ever-decreasing thirst for authority, power, and influence, where our quest for reputation is replaced by confidence in the power of God's anointing. Now, I don't like that part, <laughs> but I know that I need to move in that direction. I need to surrender, just like I need to surrender my personal life. I need to surrender that that hope for you know something built, building my kingdom, as you describe it. So it naturally works against the grain, but I know biblically it's aligned, and I need to move that direction. And that first part, that uh, admission, that confession allowed me to start, you know, walking into your shoes with you. And now tell me about that second with this call for a lifestyle of ever decreasing thirst for authority. Yeah. You know, it, it really comes down to, uh, I think maybe the most significant issue for Christian leaders, and it has to do with our identity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the second of the four, you know, areas that we look at versus our relationship in, with God and intimacy with Christ. But it really comes down to this sense of, of who defines our identity? Where do we find our, our security in who we are as people? And the challenge with leadership is that we get titles thrown on us. And we get, we get the, some of the trappings that come with being a leader. And we're reminded that we're a leader. When I was president of the seminary, you know, I was, you know, constantly you know, knew that, we had, that, that I carried that title with me. But the challenge comes when when our title and our identity become enmeshed because now once that happens i think that's the biggest tool of the enemy to use against leaders is when we tie our our title to our identity to our title and our, or our role because now everything that happens that, ref, that reflects back on my role doesn't just reflect on how i'm doing as a president it reflects on how i'm doing as a person right so if you critique something I do in my role, you are critiquing my personhood. Right. And now the enemy has a huge weapon to use against me. Because all of a sudden, I've got to prop up my reputation. I've got to make sure that everybody, I, I, people like me, right? 
if you're a person that likes to be liked by everybody, that's a problem because it means that you're tying your identity to your job. I mean, our identity is that we are children of God. We are redeemed children of God in Jesus Christ. That is our sole identity. Nothing can take that from us. That's that's where we go back to. The job, the role we have as a leader is a is a temporary position that we steward. So, you know, Darren, God says to you, you have this role on the faculty in as in this department head. You're going to steward that role well. And in stewarding that role, part of stewarding that role means grow. And we grow by critique. We grow by making mistakes and learning from them. We grow by all these kind of things. If we can live, if there's a separation between the core identity of who we are and the role we steward, we have robbed the enemy of a major weapon to be used against us. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, it made me think that this is far more important now than it was, I don't know, about a decade ago when this book came out. Because everywhere, everything that's going on in society now is all about identity. It, it has changed radically since you wrote the book. Um, I, I don't even know that I have a question here. It just It's just a thought, like the identity politics, the identity, like who I am, I, I can choose my gender. Even those things are all identity issues. And if your first identity is I am a child of God, then things change in the way that you operate. Um, and... Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, absolutely. And I mean, what a great tactic of the enemy to attack us at the very core of what it means to be a human being. I mean, we are a human, as human beings, we are made in the image of God and that's our identity. Um, and if he can attack that and tear that apart, everything begins to unravel around that, not just in our leadership role, but in our role as, as parent and as spouse and as you know, neighbor and all the rest of it. it. It all begins to unravel if he steals that from us. So was there an aha moment where you got that idea? I mean, where that really, you, it clicked? Yeah, it, there really was. I um, As we unpack steward theology, you know, we look at it in these four levels of relationship in which we were created. Our relationship with God, with ourselves, with our neighbor, and with creation. And we talk a lot in Christian theology about, about God, neighbor, and creation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor. And we don't really think about as yourself. That we kind of kind of an add on, right? And we talk about stewardship; it's all about money. So we got the money thing, we got the neighbor thing, we got the God thing, but we don't talk a lot about stewarding yourself. So when I took this steward theology and we began to flesh out each of these four in detail, I came to the second one and I thought, "What am I going to do with this? What does it mean to steward, you know, yourself, your identity?" And as we began working that, it just all of a sudden it was an aha moment, and I thought, "Oh my goodness, this is kind of the heart." This is the heart of all of it. I mean, if the enemy wins here, uh, you know, we talk about an upward spiral and a downward spiral. And I think that that's a really important concept for, for, for people to get a sense of because these, these build on each other. Um, and, uh, and that is the linchpin in these two spirals of which direction we will go. So it was an aha moment when we looked at that. Can you give a practical example of where you felt this while you were in leadership? Um, this you know, where you felt that tug of, I better defend myself or, or whatever it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's the constant challenge that we have of um, <clears throat> defining success. Mm -hmm. And Darren, really, that, that's what it comes down to for me. It's, it's how do you define success in your life? And if you as a leader define success in production terms, then you get on this negative downward spiral, this treadmill that you get onto. Because all of a sudden success is, are we growing 
Do we, you know, in a school, do we have more students? Do we have more donors? Are we, you know, are we um, uh, competitive with our people around us? Uh, when I go to conferences with other seminary presidents, can I say how big our enrollment is or what our latest faculty person did or the new program we added or the biggest donation that we just got? Those are all metrics, production-driven metrics of success. And, and that, is the, that is the treadmill that we get on as we get going. And it's a, it's a burden. It actually puts chains on us as leaders. Um, and I don't think it's what God measures. You're anticipating my very next question, which is, uh, about bondage. So yeah. you said this, uh, quote, bondage comes from a desire to forsake the freedom of the steward for the lure of absolute ownership. Ownership here means a thirst for control, for power, and for ultimate lordship. And then you said, that was page 63. And then you said, uh, so it becomes his or her vision, his or her strategic plan. The leader owns it. And it reciprocates by drowning him or her in an anxious pursuit of achievement. That's page 68. And so how did you work into that conclusion? Like you have the metaphor of like you're bound and change. And in class, so this this just really sang to me, right? So even if you win as an owner, you lose because you're you're tied up. Even if you win, you're you're worse off than if you just didn't even start. Yeah, I unpack and that. And the wins are temporary. Um, you know, if you have, if you as a, as a school, going back to a school, if we if we have if we make our enrollment goals this year, and we make our fundraising goals this year, and we balance our budget this year, then the beginning of next year, guess what? Our enrollment goals are higher. Our fundraising goals are higher. Um, our vision gets bigger, and it's okay. I mean, God wants the key, His kingdom to grow and things like that to happen. But here's here's the key. Um, there's a huge difference between between putting a strategic plan together and a vision together of significant growth for your organization based on or coming out of a position of, I would say, godly contentment, mm-hmm. where we say, you know, God provided, we have enough, we're doing the ministry he called us to do, we're stewarding what God gave us, we're joyful with where we are, um, and, and now God is blessing us with a vision to do more. That's a very different place than saying we don't have enough we're not big enough. We're not competitive enough. We got to get bigger. We got to grow more because this organization has got to succeed because I have to succeed. Yeah. Because this is my definition of what this is my can definition. You, of who I am. Can you unpack a little bit more the resting in it versus the anxiousness of the yeah. other? Like where, yeah. where you go if you. Sure. And it's, it's, it is a sign, a huge sign of bondage or freedom, isn't it? I mean, when you get up in the morning as a leader and you look out at everything that God has placed before you, everything he's laid into your hands to steward on his behalf, does that bring you joy and freedom or does it bring you anxiety and, 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 and a sense of burden? And how many leaders wake up in the morning and in the first 30 seconds of laying in bed and thinking about their day already feel the chains on them because of what happened yesterday, what I have to do today and all the rest of it. It's a surefire way of understanding that there's an ownership mindset here. Yeah. Um, there, there is when we talk about freedom in all of this. It's, it's not a, it's not a, a light word. It is a visceral, deep, existential experience yeah. to understand what it means to walk into even the hardest moment of our leadership journey and be able to sit there with a sense of freedom and saying, "Lord, this is yours. I trust you with it. You've." Um, help me steward today what you've called me to steward today and back to our definition of success my success today will be measured in terms of faithfulness and that's all i want to do that's right faithful to what you called me to do 
and trust you for the increase. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and know that all these things will be added unto me because that because this is your school. This is your business. This is your organization. It's not mine. I'm going to be gone someday. It's going to continue on. So how do I steward it in the days you've given me well and faithfully? And if I can do that, I can go to bed tonight with a soft pillow, a clear conscience, and trust you with the rest of it. And and that measurement is miles away from the numbers. Wow. I mean, it's, it's so different. It, I, I don't even know that you can, you're not using the same tool. You're, yeah. you're, it's almost like in, so we're at a Baptist school, right? Baptists are notorious for measuring how many people are, are in the pews because that's easier to do than to measure how discipled people are. Right. And, and it's, it's like, it's night and day, but discipling is what you're called to do. Not just, you know, create convert or somebody sitting in the pew. And that's kind of what you're talking about is the difference between here's I've been successful by these numbers as opposed to I've been successful by actually faithfully stewarding what you have put into my hands and doing that in a meaningful way. And, you know, so I'm not sure even that I have a, what the question is. I'm just thinking through the implications here. And it's just so radically different. It is radically different. And, you know, we measure what we value. And so if your definition of success is based on product productivity, then all your metrics will follow. And that's how you will look at it. If it's, if, if your success is based on faithfulness, how do you measure that? Well, I think you can. I think there's ways in which you can take a look at at least the inputs of what that looks like. And we've talked, we've worked with a lot of people, a lot of leaders and organizations that have put processes in place that say, we believe if we do these things, that this will, these are the things that lead toward faithfulness, a culture of a, a steward culture in our organization where everybody in our whole organization comes to work knowing that this is God's. And my job now, I'm stewarding my job today for this process. How do we how do we continue to, to cultivate that culture? Now, that's, that's really interesting. Can you expand on that? Because while you talk about it to some degree in the book, you don't really elaborate on that. Certainly, a steward leader will have that ripple effect on others, just like an anxious leader will have that ripple effect. But how do you really embed this in the culture? Well, and that's the role of leader. I'm not sure there's a much more important thing we do as leaders than to than to create and maintain a, a steward culture in our organization. It's got to go all the way down, everybody, and it's got to go all the way up. My board has got to be a steward board. I just wow, yeah. I'm have a plug here. I just wrote a new book called The Greater Mission, and it's about what does it look like to become a steward board, uh, to set wow, aside okay. a board and become a steward board. And I was going to ask you at the end what your implications or followings are, so I want to hear about that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the culture itself, though, right now, and then we'll come back to what you're well, working on lately. Sure. So steward, steward leaders um, empower their people to become great uh, employees, if you will, because they're set free to, to do what God called them to do. So we, 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 we give them the time and we hold them accountable for the things that they do in their job that keep them in a steward mindset. Now, that doesn't that doesn't mean we don't use metrics. I think metrics are important. I'm a fundraising consultant, for heaven's sakes. We, we use metrics all the time. But we always put the metrics in terms of uh, measuring, measuring those things that we can control and not measuring the things that only God can control. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's that's one thing that that steward leaders have to help an organization understand. What are the inputs? It goes back to First Corinthians three, five through nine, which, you know, I just love so much. I use it all the time that we plant and water. And God brings the increase. Well, let's measure planting and watering. Let's let's do it well. Let's do it with excellence. And in every area of your organization, 
you can sit down with your team and say, what does God call us to do to steward this area well? That's our planting. That's our watering. How do we do that the very best? What metrics do we need to use to make sure that we're the best in the industry at what we're doing? But where do we also say, and we're going to trust God for the increase and not presuppose that we've got to reach across and now believe that we also bring the increase? Because I tell you, Darren, if we, if we bring the increase, we get the glory. Okay, so that's all the time that we have. We've run out of time in the interview, but we're not just stopping there. In the second part of this, you will hear him talk about other major concepts within the book and what he's doing as he's moving forward, what, how his thoughts have developed. You don't want to miss that, so listen to part two. Thank you so much for your time.